0: Welcome to AMDG, I'm Eric Clayton, and Merry Christmas! There's a lot of movement in Scripture during this Christmas season. God comes among humanity through the Incarnation. The Holy Family travels to Bethlehem for a census and then flees to Egypt under threat of death. The shepherds and magi travel varying distances to be present to and encounter God. Scripture isn't just a historical retelling of holy events, right? It's alive and speaking to us today. And when I reflect on all of these stories where we see God's people on the move, I can't help but think about the enormous numbers of people on the move today forced to flee their homes due to violence, lack of opportunity, or environmental destruction. So for this Christmas episode, I turned to someone who I knew was also thinking about issues impacting God's people on the move. Joan Rosenhauer, Executive Director of Jesuit Refugee Service USA. In this role, Joan leads the organization's efforts in the US to fulfill its mission to accompany, serve, and advocate for refugees and displaced people. And as a member of JRS's global senior leadership team, Joan also helps lead JRS's global operations. Joan has a long and impressive career at the crossroads of faith and justice. She was the executive vice president of Catholic Relief Services and spent 16 years with the US Conference of Catholic Bishops as associate director of the Department of Justice peace, and human development. She has degrees in social work and public policy management. Today's episode may not put you in the Christmas spirit in the traditional sense, tidings of comfort and joy and all that, but it will remind you what Christ's coming points to, a reordering of relationships that bring about God's justice and peace. Don't forget, if you like what you hear on AMDG, tell your friends, subscribe, and leave us a nice comment. All right, Joan, welcome to AMDG, our podcast. Good to have you with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you are the lucky one who gets to um, think about Christmas with us, right? Here we are in the Christmas season, and and your work uh, has a lot to do with that Christmas season, right? We're thinking about incarnation. We're thinking about the Holy Family. So why don't we start with, with that image of, of the incarnation, and how does your work, how does your, your own personal reflection, um, what do you have to offer us in that in that sense? Yeah. Well, I certainly think that
1: um, it's a it's a, a time when many of us have challenges really bringing to life in our lives our belief in the incarnation. Um, not so much the baby Jesus, but the um, idea that we embrace, which is that Christ is present in all of us, and especially in those in greatest need, but really all of us, and uh, for me, uh, there are some people, either you know, in my personal life, colleagues, friends, you know, family. Some family members get together at Christmas <laughs> and whatnot, where it's a little bit more of a challenge. But I look also at our public life. Like, what does it mean? I try to be somewhat disciplined about thinking, what does it mean to recognize Christ's presence in the people that I most disagree with in public life? And I think that um, that can be a real challenge, but it really forces me to think differently about all kinds of things, and I certainly see that as it relates to the discussion about migrants and refugees, the work that I do, that um, we recognize, when we think about Christ present among us, of course he came as a human being more than 2,000 years ago, but but we also understand him present in each other, and especially uh, in the least among us, and um, many people have a hard time seeing that in migrants and refugees,
0: but I certainly see that clearly all the time. So the incarnation, obviously, as you said, God comes among us. And the way you're, you're describing it is it's very much a daily, a lived, um, tangible kind of a spirituality, something we wake up every day and do uh, in some ways. How, how, how do you do that? What, what kind of, 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 of practice or exercises do you, can you offer to listeners to, to, to have that incarnational spirituality as we approach big issues, big conversations, and people we don't always agree with?
1: Well, the only thing that I have um, found, I don't know that I have any great answers to that, but I think the only thing that I have found is that I, I really just try to be disciplined myself about um, the moments when I'm most frustrated with someone. Um, again, and again, that can happen in our personal lives and it can happen as we watch the the public arena or people, celebrity, all kinds of people that we see that we disagree with or whatever it is. But just to to make myself pause and say, if I see that person as Christ, how do I respond to you know my initial react or how does it shape my initial reaction? And it doesn't mean that we don't disagree with people, but it does mean that we have to just step back and think about people differently and figure out a way to be um, maybe more loving in our response to all these things that, that cause us challenges and frustrations.
0: Yeah, and, and I think what I like about that is it's, you know, Christmas we get stuck on, on historical, which, which obviously, you know, as you said, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And then we think about when Jesus comes again, right? But, but Jesus is coming, you know, to, in, to, into our lives each and every day. And I think that is a helpful reminder. Uh, the Holy Family is another image that is, is associated with Christmas. And, and again, a, an image that can be kind of cast onto, you know, these beautiful paintings or, or, or kind of faraway statues, things that we, we think about from a distance. But it also is an invitation to consider the Holy Family in our midst. And I think, again, your work has a lot to do with that. So where have you last encountered the Holy Family? Or how do you continue to ensure you're encountering the Holy Family in meaningful ways?
1: Well, I guess I would say a couple of things. One is that when I think of the Holy Family, what I think about is this incredible devotion to, um, to God and to each other, and that's certainly what we see in the story of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, um, in the various stories of, of um, Jesus' very early life as a very small child, but when he was lost in the temple, and all, I mean, you just can identify that they were a family, they were parents, and they were very uh, clearly devoted to their children, just as all of us who are parents are, and, um, and also the incredible trust in God that they had, I mean, imagine both of them saying yes to um, their role in in Christ's uh, coming among us. Um, What a leap of faith that had to be. Um, And and also in their, I mean, we do see them going through a migration, going to Egypt, Mm -hmm. and that moment of trust that we, in our devotion to our son and to our family, we are going to do whatever it takes To protect him and we're going to flee to Egypt and you know find our way there and i certainly see that all the time and and what i see there's a sadly a negative narrative about refugees and migrants and things but what i see every day is mothers and fathers who are devoted to their children and want their children to survive and to thrive and they flee and do whatever it takes just as mary and joseph did to, um, to make sure that their children can have a, a, a brighter future.
0: Do you have in your mind uh, the last time you saw the Holy Family, a holy family uh, in your work?
1: There are so many images that are going through my head because I see this all the time. Um, what are some common things that come from those different images, different
0: yeah, commonalities?
1: Yeah, well, um, a couple of things. One is that um, people find themselves in incredibly difficult situations. And um, so, uh, you know, families that are all living in tiny one-room areas with hardly any resources, never really quite sure where the next meal is gonna come from. Um, And now I'm thinking of people uh, kind of in the Middle East, Syrian refugees, Iraqi refugees, or people living in tiny little grass huts. Um, One of my most recent trips was to Eastern Chad. And mo- many people will remember when the whole world was focused on the genocide in Darfur. And everyone was horrified. It was on the news every day. We were also concerned about it. Well, the news cycle moved on. Most of us moved on. Those people have not moved on. They're living in Eastern Chad in little grass huts to this day. And, uh, and yet, they're mothers and fathers who are determined that their children will have a better life. And they, um, one of the things they most often ask for is education for their children. And that's something JRS provides uh, all over the world in 56 countries. But I see that commitment and devotion of families to, to um, building a life for their children and protecting their children, you know, in
0: all kinds of places around the world. You're a mother. You're part of a family. What do you take from the holy family, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, and these other holy families that you encounter in your, in your travels, and your work? What lessons, what reflections, what things do you kind of hold in your heart? Well one thing I would say from the Holy Family is
1: that idea of, of surrendering and embracing trust in God, mm-hmm. because it's a, kind of against my nature. I'm one of the people like many of us who what, you know want to control everything and I want to, you know, it's all up to me to make things happen. and I have to get this done, I have to get that done and whatnot. And it's really hard for me to step back and, and just kind of you know let let God's will. Um, unfold in my life and accept that that uh, has to be part, not that I stop doing what I have to do, but just that that has to be a part of how I think about those things. Um, But when it comes to the families that I meet and the Holy Family, um, uh, again, it's just the incredible uh, both hope and commitment. Refugee families are remarkably resilient. And um, so like any parents, no matter how difficult their situations, they are trying to figure out how to build a life for their children and and you know they well, it, again as i said they ask um they ask us for education for their children all the time because in the short run i mean they they know that their children have been traumatized and they need to have some stability in their lives and school gives them stability they go into a classroom it's normalcy that happens every day um, and it's also hope that in the future their children will have a better life and they will need an education to build that life for themselves. And in some ways, it's so reflective of what all of us feel about for our children. So I, I think I'm inspired by the Holy Family. I'm inspired by all the families I meet to, to, um, you know, focus in on that love for one's family
0: and the and the hope that we want to build for everyone. Mm. That, that's excellent. And the idea of hope and. Um, you know so key during 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 the season right of 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 christmas and i i wonder how do you keep so you know full year all, all year long how do you keep that hope alive and, and focused in in your mind because i you know we're sitting here in your office you work behind a desk i work behind a desk um you know these issues are are uh, sometimes feel very remote even to people like yourself who who are working so fervently on them how do you keep that uh in your mind when when sometimes it, it feels you know, a long way away.
1: Well, it does help that I um, have the privilege of being able to visit the programming that JRS does around the world a couple of times every year. So I, I have met people. I, I can think of um, individuals that I've met uh, who just are, are remarkably resilient and, and hope-filled people. I think of a woman um, who had fled Uh, uh, in the Middle East had fled to to Athens actually and uh, because her entire family had been killed and she took her four-year-old daughter and had to get on the boats and the like everything that you have heard about Mm. terrible things happening but by the time I met her she had um, with the help of some remarkable colleagues of mine at JRS she'd been able to like you know establish her life in Athens she had a job all of that and she was being so kind and helpful to other families who were coming. It's like they, they have so little give and yet they give incredibly. So um, thinking about those individuals are my inspiration. And part of it is that I just have to be disciplined to do that. Like in my prayer life, mm. I can't just think of like the poor or something like that or migrants, but I really have to think about the individuals that I've met and have them be a um, a um, you know, symbol for me and a, a, a reminder for me of, the humanity of the people that that are affected by all
0: these issues. You talk about the privilege it is to travel to see to see these you know the programs and the projects and and to encounter these people. What kind of responsibility do you feel when you come back to share those stories, to share the names, the faces, the the feelings that you had with other people, to bring other people into the mission? I feel significant
1: responsibility because uh, the 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 narrative about refugees and migrants of various kinds is. Uh, so negative um, in so many, you know, kind of parts of our culture. And I, I think it's critical that people learn about individuals, families. Um, I, I, I think of another woman that I met in um, uh, Guatemala, uh, and she had sent her daughter, her teenage daughter, north to try to get to the U.S. because the gangs had said they were going to take her as a gang wife, and we all know what that means, and she said, I couldn't let that happen. So, like making a choice among terrible options, she uh, decided to set her, brother, her, her daughter north. And she said, you know, I said to her, I, I can't imagine doing that. Like, I have a daughter. And mm-hmm. I, to send her into all the risk of going up through Mexico and trying to get into the United States and everything. And, um, and, and she said to me, but think about it. What would you do if it was your daughter who was going to be taken by the gangs? and i completely identified with her it still gives me chills to say that because i know what i would do i could never let my that happen to my daughter even if the choice the alternative was terrible too so i think it's um telling those stories so people understand that these are mothers and fathers just like us these are you know sons and daughters just like us and like our children and and we have to have compassion that's what our faith calls us to
0: what do you think are the um top Few biggest misconceptions or biggest things that, that you run into in your work, you know, with people all across the country, as you are sh- trying to change the narrative. What what do you what do you bump into, and, and what do you hope people take away from your message?
1: I think the biggest misconception is that uh, it's easy to to um, think of people and almost in the abstract, and not really recognize that. Um, You know, these are human beings mothers and fathers like you can't think of them as like migrants or refugees. They're um, individuals uh, that that are just like us and um, And I think also uh, often people don't think about the children. That's one of the things sometimes I'll be asked what um, keeps me up at night in my job And and for me, it really is the children. Part of the reason I wanted to take this job and that I'm so passionate about it is that there are um, overall more than 70 million people who've been forced to flee their homes in the world. That's more people, this is people of all ages. That's more people than all but 10 of the countries in the world. There are 195 countries in the world. All but 10 of them have fewer people than the number of people displaced. That's how massive this population is and more than half of them are children and those children have been traumatized. So what is the future gonna be if we turn our backs on all those children? Uh, some one of my, our uh, board members said to me the other day, we're, we're looking at an epidemic of PTSD in the world and we have to do something because the future for them and for all of us is gonna be terrible if we don't help these children overcome their trauma. And that's one of the things we focus on is mental health care for children and for people of all ages because they all have been through horrible experiences that. Um, are going to come back to haunt them and all
0: of us in the future. I, I, yeah, it's just it, it it's such a impossibly Tragic task. I, I think about you know when I leave for work in the morning and my two-year-old daughter She can now say a few words few sentences and, and she'll say don't leave don't, I don't want to? Don't go you know those, yeah. those kinds of things and that just breaks my heart and then I you know that that's hard and I'm, I'm leaving you know a, a nice house in, in Baltimore get on a train. I can't imagine Having to, to to pro as a parent process those kinds of, um, co- you know yells and 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 um, cries from your child um, mm-hmm. while you're in the midst of fleeing while you're forcing your kid to, to go north while you're um trying to, to work through your own trauma and recon- seeing the trauma taking place you know just t- you know taking root in your in your young person I I can't even imagine that and and these some of these things these numbers that you you say are are again just impossibly large how do you bring hope to people how do you take those abstract, you know daunting numbers but but then say to the people that you you encounter but here's what we can do as, as a church as a community um, as a as people of God how, how do you do that well I think again it comes
1: down to telling the stories of real people that I've met that uh, because um, yes the numbers are huge but it still matters that that woman in Athens was building a life for her and her daughter. It still matters. I was in the Becca Valley of Lebanon and um, I was in a, an informal camp and we run a school there and, and we were um, in a classroom of like maybe fifth graders or something like that. And you know, it's always remarkable. I mean, these kids are living in UN tents and have been for like the last six years or something like that. So we would think this is just a horrible situation, but they build a community, they build a life for themselves and they get into school and we ask them, so what are you hoping to be when you grow up now that you're getting your education, you know, and you have this chance to go to school? And, you know, one boy said he wants to be a doctor and then, you know, two or three others said, said the same thing because that's what kids do, like one says and then all the other. But then somebody else idea. said, yeah, I want to be an astronaut. And then a, another little girl said, I want to be a fashion designer. And, you know, here's this little girl in this refugee camp in the Becca Valley in Lebanon but you know they have dreams they have hope maybe she'll never be a a fashion designer but I think we we have to understand that they are worth helping even if they're you know 70 million is huge that was one class of 30 kids who are, whose lives are going to be changed by the fact that we've given them an education, and that's worth doing. And you know, we replicate that by you know hundreds of thousands every year. It's uh, seven hundred thousand roughly that we help every year. Um, that they are every one of those is a child of God who is worth helping, and and that's worth doing.
0: I think the capacity for human resilience always astounds me, and and the capacity to continue to dream and be innovative in in. And, and adapting both to circumstances and then proactively seizing the day in some ways. You, you know, you're, you're, you're no newbie to this kind of faith and justice work, right? You have a long career of, of, of working at this intersection in a number of, of high profile um, organizations. What, what, have you, what have you learned um, from your, uh, from your different, different roles you've had? What, what key takeaways, um, what stories and things kind of stand in your mind?
1: well one thing i I guess i would mention is that um almost all of those really all of them um, more directly or less directly have been a part of the mission of the catholic church to respond to human needs around the world which is a direct response to what christ calls us to be as disciples and i um, wish everybody understood the extent to which that mission is at the heart of what the church is doing because we can really be proud of that, and I've been blessed to be a part of that. Um, so we need to lift up those, that wonderful um, work and mission, whether it's at Catholic Relief Services, where I worked before I worked for JRS, or I worked at, with the Catholic Campaign for Human Development at the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, working here in the U.S. in, in low-income communities. Um, the, the Catholic Church is in so many places. I've never worked for Catholic charities, they'll work you know, alongside Catholic charities and that's it's another remarkable, <laughs> that's true. It's another remarkable um, uh, uh, you know, example of the church living the gospel and responding to people in greatest need and um, so one takeaway is that there's wonderful work being done to live the gospel and care for Christ um, present in the least among us um, all over the world. And we can be proud of that as Catholics.
0: What would you say to a, a, a person coming out of, um, a young person coming out of college or, or divinity school or with a theology degree um, or international development degree, whatever, that that wants to do this kind of work at the crossroads of faith and justice? That's the beginning of their career. What would you say to, to them?
1: Go for it. I, I You know, there, there are many ways to get started. All of those organizations that I listed um, are, places where you can get started in that kind of work and there are wonderful careers to be built. Um, and, you know, I've been in a lot of situations, I've gone to like leadership management courses and things like that where there are people from many different, uh, or in v- many different types of businesses and for profit and things like that. And in in, in it, it has happened, you know, several times, a, a number of times where um, in the end, people who are, um, you know, kind of, on a normal for-profit track or whatever will say, but I want to do what you do. I want to make my living um, doing something that has such meaning for me, that is such a reflection of my values, that is such a reflection of my faith. Um, and and so I always am reminded of how blessed I am that I've been able to to make a living my, my in the course of my life doing things that I really am passionate about, that I really believe in, that are are truly a reflection of my faith and there are lots of opportunities and lots of need for that, so I would encourage young people to go for it because it gives meaning uh, throughout your life.
0: Um, I'm always struck, I think, you know, being working with the the Jesuits now and, and, and so many Jesuit uh, vocations, you know, uh, individuals that have been doing uh, things in all different parts of the world, and then and then say, you know, what I I, I feel a calling to do something different, you know, enter the you know, the Jesuits, but then um, you know continue to do that that work, and and you see that, that kind of coming together of 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 faith and and justice, or faith and you know science, or faith and you know teaching, all these different careers, and, and so I think it's just a, um, a you know an example of how uh, the Jesuit charism uh, so naturally fits in the world, you know, doing good in the world among God's people, you know, for and with others. Uh, you know, and I, I wonder if you might share some reflections on how Ignatian spirituality, you know, coming to work at JRS, obviously Jesuit uh, re- Refugee Service, um, how, how you've um, seen Ignatian spirituality play out uh, in, in the work that's being done.
1: Well, I certainly have had a chance to learn more about Ignatian spirituality since I came to work for JRS and for the Jesuits. And um, I think that has really been enriching for my spiritual life. I I was only vaguely familiar with the examine before I started here. And I just really find that a wonderful spiritual exercise and particularly appreciate the focus on gratitude uh, because um, kind of being disciplined and systematic about um, doing the examine Leads me to focus on gratitude every single day, and it's so important and really just so enriching for one's spiritual life. Um, so I, I uh, have very much appreciated that, and and it, you know the how Ignatian, how our Jesuit identity and Ignatian spirituality uh, shape what we do, is something that we talk about as a part of JRS, as a part of the Jesuit Conference, all the time. And looking at what kind of leader should you be if you really embrace. Um, Catholic uh, uh, teaching and uh, Jesuit spirituality, Ignatian spirituality. And uh, so it's, it's an interesting thing in looking at um, you know things like the process of discernment and how do we uh, practice that in our workplace and really engage everyone in that process so that we can come to the best possible decisions. Or even really looking all the time at what in a given situation is the magis. That we live in an imperfect world, we have to make choices among you know, uh, things that are not absolutely black and white, you know, this is the best thing and that's not the best thing. And so how do we determine what is the greater good in the situation? So it really does play out all the time in very practical ways in the way we make decisions and the way we, you know,
0: lead organizations. So to that point, and as you're discerning uh, the future, uh, and, and kind of seeing where God is calling all of us to work towards. What is uh, on tap for JRS in the new year in 2020? What are the priorities? Yeah. Uh, what what are you looking forward to? Uh, what challenges do you foresee? There are there are a couple of
1: key things that I am really excited about. Although I don't want that to take away from the work that we've been doing, as I've been talking about with education for children and how important that is. That you know, kids' futures will be will depend on their stability now and their ability to get an education now Um, but two things one is that we're looking at some around the world some livelihood programs that I think are real exciting an example is um, teaching young people in a camp in uh, Malawi where they are really isolated they can't get to any city they can't get jobs in the uh, local economy or anything but we're giving teaching them digital skills and um, working with another nonprofit we're going to be able to not only teach them how to do uh, um, Microsoft Office Suite programs, um, but also for some of them coding and things like that. And then they will be able to get jobs digitally with companies in France and in Canada and in the US and they will just do it all digitally and they'll be able to create an account kind of skip over the local geographic economy and go straight to the digital economy but for people who are stuck for 15 years this is a camp that's been around for 15 years who are stuck in this camp and without any real prospect of being resettled or anything because of course resettlement numbers are way down including in the US. that, you know, entering that digital economy is a game changer for them. It gives them a future and, and um, kind of a, a stake in, in, in that future. Um, the other thing I'm excited about is we're looking at uh, uh, an additional program in the U.S. We currently provide pastoral care to people who are being detained by the U.S. government in five uh, detention centers around the country. But we're also looking at one of the strengths that JRS USA brings to the global JRS network is our expertise, uh, because we have the staff who are experts in mental health care for displaced people. And um, where we recently did some fact-finding research along the U.S. border with Mexico and found that uh, one of the biggest gaps is that there's very little mental health support for the people who are at our border. And now most of them are in Mexico because the US policy keeps them all in Mexico. But you've heard stories of mothers whose children are getting sick and they can't get any help. And so they send like tiny children across a bridge to a, a US border patrol agent because this poor little, but imagine sending your daughter maybe a little older, four year old or something across a bridge because that's the only way to get healthcare for her. Um, the healthcare needs to be provided in general but the trauma of that needs to be addressed that people are dealing with a a lot of um, uh, mental health challenges and nobody's taking care of that or very little of it so I think we're going to start and we know that some of the policies that exist down there have contributed to that so we want to be part of the solution and so we're going to look at starting a a program to help um, Provide mental health support to these uh, refugees, the the migrants, the asylum seekers who are uh, coming up to the U.S. border, but um, you know, struggling with that process now.
0: Well, sounds like a lot of good work to be done in the new year, certainly, and um, and exciting. And I, I look forward to seeing how it all unfolds and uh, being a part of it as 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 part of the Jesuit family. Uh, Joan, thank you for your time today and for uh, sharing your reflections with us. Have a Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me and
1: I hope you and everybody has a Merry Christmas. Thanks.
0: We'll do it at the end of the new year. Great. (laughs) AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C., the show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference Communications team is Mike Jordan-Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Doris Sump, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at @jesuitnews, Jesuit News, Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and Facebook via facebook.com backslash Jesuits. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.